What up? This is your host, Sully. Welcome in. It's Rewind Wednesday. We're going back to March 2020. Funny enough, recorded this episode on the exact day that the NCAA tournament was supposed to start. And because the NCAA tournament did not end up starting, I sat down with Ryan Mikesell one-on-one, Chip Mikesell, some of you might call him, to talk about the 2020 season. More importantly, his career. You know, there were so many great memories and so many great games that uh, the Chip gave us over the years that I did not want to spend the entire time talking about the disappointments of the 2020 season. So we'll get to that. Don't worry. But more so, I wanted to sit down with Chip and talk about his five years for the program, how much he did for the Dayton Flyers program, and and the fact that he was going to be fondly remembered by everybody for uh, years and years to come. I wanted to remind you, good time to remind you, that this Rewind Wednesday is brought to you by Sherholtz Printing in Kettering, Ohio. Mentioned, located in Kettering, servicing the entire Miami Valley for all your printing needs. They're family-owned and operated since 1974. And remember, if it's printed, they can help. Check out the website for many of their printing options. That's S-C-H-U-E-R. HOLZprinting.com, proud supporter, printer, and season ticket holder of UD Women's and Men's Basketball, and their owner, Charlie Sherholtz, again, will assure you that they've been doing business safely during the pandemic, and they are ready to service all your printing needs in the Miami Valley. Rewind Wednesday, brought to you again by Sherholtz Printing. Let's get right into it. Thanks for joining the program. now on a most unique Dayton Flyers basketball week in March with a three-time Ken Palm game MVP and current current, uh, Dayton Flyers basketball alumni, I guess, is what we can elevate your status to. Uh, Ryan Mikesell. Ryan, welcome on the program, man. What are you up to on uh, what was supposed to be the first day of the tournament? Yeah, you know, I was hoping to be watching some basketball or playing some basketball right now, but uh, instead, I'm currently watching a lot of Netflix, uh, trying to kind of pass time uh, during this weird, weird time in society, but can't do much about it. That's a good way to put it. I was going to tell you that um, the last thing in the world that I would like to be doing today is talking to you, and I hope you don't take that as a slight. I just no. really don't want to talk to you right now. I'd rather be watching you guys on television. So yeah, yeah you, you and me both. Trust me. I, I wish I wasn't doing this podcast, but here we are. <laughs> Fucking podcast. God, I had to come on here. Um, so no, man, I, I really do appreciate the time, and and we can, uh, you know, I guess when we can start from the top, I. I I know that a lot of fans want to hear about, uh, obviously, what the last couple of weeks have been like. But, um, you know, I certainly didn't want to start the show on that kind of tone just because there was so much that uh, that preceded it or came before the events of the, of the past week. And um, and so, you know, just just backing up and, and taking um, a look into hindsight of, of everything that's that's behind you now, um, I wanted to ask you, like, do you remember specifically like what you were feeling before your first game in a Dayton uniform and the level set with the listeners, this was, I had to go back and look up the date, but it was uh, November 13th, 2015. Uh, we opened wow. up that season against uh, Southeast Missouri state. You remember anything <laughs> yeah. about your first game? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember going into, it, I was super nervous because it was my first college game. 
uh, first time playing in front of really a crowd like that before. Um, I've been to a few uh, Dayton games before actually playing in one, so I kind of knew that what the atmosphere was going to be like going into it. Um, but leading up, you know, preseason, I had a good preseason. I was pretty confident going into the game, and uh, we just played in the scrimmage before. I think we played uh, Saginaw Valley State. I had a pretty good game there. So going into the game, I was confident and uh, went in, you know, was able to hit some of my first shots and got got a confidence going and, um, you know, had a, I think it was like 22 points or something like that at night. So I felt pretty confident going into it. And uh, it was kind of funny because I think our next game was against Alabama. And so I get down with my first game. I'm all confident, you know, freshman getting ready to, you know, move on to my college career. Like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, I'm good. I think the next game against Alabama, I didn't see an open shot like the whole time. I was like, oh, so this is their scouting in college basketball. So uh, I wasn't. I wasn't quite ready for that one, so I kind of got humbled right right after that second game. So, uh, no, it was awesome though uh, to have getting that kind of that kind of groove that early into the season, the first game, and to, to feed off that the fans and stuff cheering on you after hitting shots after shot. Uh, it was it was special, yeah. Yeah, man, I I remember that game specifically because um, I watched it. I watched it from a wedding, and uh, I remember just you know the the fanfare on night number one is just kind of like let's see how everybody looks, let's see exactly. what the, the freshman exactly, can yeah. do. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a very, um, it's kind of a low stakes game. It's always been that way for the last, oh, I mean, so many years. Like the last time we had a big opening night game was against Creighton when I was like a junior, which was like. 2010 so it's been almost a decade since we've had like a huge you know like not not like a big opening round game but even like a school that's a marquee um mm-hmm. but i just i remember uh you, you caught hot fire that game man do you happen to yeah. remember i'll hit you with some early trivia time uh early on the podcast let's play the music well actually before i play the music i have to remind you that this segment is brought to you by lee's chicken lee's chicken has assured me that nothing has changed for them everything is served to go for you so if you get hungry if you absolutely have to go out if you're really hankering for lee's chicken if one of those things happens rest assured they got you covered you give them a call and they will serve it up to go at their 13 convenient locations if you're heading north from middletown towards dayton remember lee's chicken brought to you this trivia so after your opening night 21 point explosion against Southeast Missouri State, do you happen to know how many games were between that performance and your next 20 game performance off the top of your head? <laughs> uh, I know I didn't have another 20 points my freshman year. Um, I'm trying to think, sophomore year, I was. I don't know if I scored 20 my sophomore year. I know I got close against Bonaventure, but I don't think I got 20. It was like 19 or something like that. I don't. I don't even know. Probably two years. Probably my junior season, my redshirt junior season. I would say three full seasons before I got my next twenty point game. I don't know the the amount of games, but that's my guess. You're you're pretty damn close, my friend. So your redshirt junior season against Bonaventure was the next game. Scored twenty one. Yeah. Double OT. Remember that game? Yeah. Yeah. So there's seventy games yeah, in I between. Do. That was when. Uh... Wow. Sheesh. <laughs> wow. That's. That's a lot. You made you made me feel. I got humbled quickly that the next game, <laughs> the next actually three years. <laughs> I uh, I was looking through some stats to to get us going here today, and I was like, oh, I, don't, I didn't really know what to to pull off or um, you know, what what was going to be like a good stats to pull out of thin air. And um, 
I don't know. It just that one stuck out to me, man. But um, yeah, it, you know, it's it's funny. Like like I said, when you look back um, so far, like you know, almost five years ago, uh, when you started in a Flyers uniform, can you speak to like what? the difference is when you're a freshman, I mean, it's, it's obvious there are differences between being a freshman on the bench. And then when you're you know leading the five man rotation, but you know, now that you have the hindsight, mm-hmm. like what's the biggest difference when you're a freshman on the team compared to like the season you just saw? Uh, just knowing what it takes to be a college basketball player on a day-to-day basis and being, you know, consistent, successful on the court and off the court. I think the biggest thing is my freshman year. I was so, uh, just caught up in the hype of getting to play basketball, you know, getting to play um, at Dayton in front of fans and doing all that, which is great and all, but really what it takes, you know, every the everyday grind, um, you know, bringing that focus to every practice, bringing that focus to every game, bringing that practice or focus to every, just every, every little thing you did. I don't think I understood that um, when I was younger. And then once I kind of started implementing like my sophomore year, I, I definitely tell I was a lot more comfortable out there playing. Um, you know, I started a whole bunch of games and that's kind of when the whole sips, my whole hip situation started up. Um, so that's when Zerius, you know, had a really good season was playing. It kind of took my spot in the lineup. Um, but yeah, I would say the biggest thing is you just gain, you just gain experience and you understand, um, you know, what it takes, um, to be a, a player, you know, you don't kind of go in spurts. You kind of try to be as consistent as you can every day. What was your your first moment freshman year where like someone clowned on you or just like something happened where you were like, oh shit, like I'm a, I'm in college ball now. Did you have like that kind of like one humbling yeah. moment during a game? Uh, I yeah. So I think it was during. It wouldn't have been. I think it was in Orlando. We were playing Iowa, and I was guarding um, Jared oh, Udoff, yeah. who was a really good player. It was like all Big Ten. Uh, player I remember you know watching him in high school and then I was guarding him and he like got the ball in the mid post and he like faced up on me he was like jabbing at me jabbing at me and he did a move and I was like okay I'm sitting on this move like I'm gonna block it like I know I've been watching my whole like my whole life like you're one of the players that you know I try to emulate and he hit me with a shot fake and I jumped right into him and he jumped into me and got me with a foul and I was like (laughs) oh crap like I thought I did. And now he has counters to his game. So it was just, it was one of those things where you watch somebody in high school and then you're playing them and you think, all right, like I'm going to show, I'm going to show him like I can play with these dudes. And then he goes and does something like something slick like that. And so that was my first kind of humbling experience saying like, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, it's not even that though. Like, cause we always talk about, um, especially from the fan perspective, how, there's always a mm-hmm. learning curve for everybody, you know, whether you're an NBA draft prospect, whether you're a guy trying to fit into the lineup or a transfer or whatever, like there's a learning curve when you move up in any kind of level. And so that's why I always want to know, like if guys had that, that moment where, you know, you get humbled or you're like, okay, now I know I'm at the next level now. Um, alternatively mm-hmm. speaking, like freshman year, was there a game and maybe it was, you know, the opening game since you, you had scored, you know, you scored 21, but like, was there a game your freshman year when you're like, mm-hmm. you know what? I belong at this level. Like I'm good enough to play with these guys. Yeah. I would say definitely my first game. Um, you know, I knew after that game, I wasn't going to, you know, average 20 points or, or do anything like that, but I knew that, um, I chose the right school and I knew I could play at this level. And that, and that was the biggest thing for my confidence. Cause as a freshman, you don't know what you don't know. So, 
uh, whenever you get out there, you're just kind of like, okay, you put all this work, you put all this time in. Um, let's see if you're ready for it. And so, you know, after that first game, that's kind of when I when I knew that I could I could play at this level. Yeah, for sure. But what was that process like when you you picked UD? It, honestly, like usually I know the story behind it, but it's so long ago now, I kind of forgot like what you kind of <laughs> went through or what the schools you chose. You know. Yeah, so um, I started getting recruited by Dayton after their Elite Eight run. So it would have been going into my so that would be my junior year during the Elite Eight run. So going into my senior year that summer, I was getting recruited by them, and it was, you know, I, I got recruited by all the MAC schools, all those smaller mid major schools, and then I had a few Big Ten looks, but it was one of those things where they were waiting on a kid uh, to commit before they wanted to offer me. So. Um, I didn't really want to go to a school like that where I wasn't, you know, a priority to them. And um, when I went to Dayton, I took a visit. It was like an unofficial visit. So he didn't, uh, Arch didn't offer me a scholarship. And then I played in a, a, the team camp there and I played really well. And then after, right after the team camp, Arch would watch all my games. He brought me to um, their coach's office, offered me a scholarship. I went and took another visit um, and then I ended up committing um, right before my last month of AU. So that last month of AU is a big month in terms of, you know, college coaches coming out and watching and stuff. But um, I, prior to that, I was getting recruited for about two weeks. And I'm not the type of kid who, um, you know, loves all that attention, coaches calling him and, and doing all that. Like, I just I just kind of wanted to be done with the process. So, um, you know, after I took the visit, I spoke with my parents, kind of narrowed down my options, and then uh, kind of knew I wanted to go to Dayton. Um, after after our, everything was said and done yeah yeah and we uh the fans of the podcast certainly are glad you did uh my mother <laughs> wanted me to tell you specifically that she was uh sad she couldn't see you playing another game so i have to get that in you know mom mom <laughs> told me i gotta sneak that in today but, sorry uh, <laughs> sorry sorry mama sorry. <laughs> but you and me uh, both are sad <laughs> i know i know um, but you know, it was another one of the reasons why it, I felt, um, you know, it was good to get together this week specifically just, uh, to, to, you know, talk through some of this stuff that, um, that's been going on, um, you know, in the background and then, you know, in the previous seasons. Um, so when you, you finish up freshman year, um, and, you know, down the stretch there, that was the 2016 season. Um, you, you appeared in some games, most of the time you were kind of watching from the bench. And then obviously that mm -hmm. next year is when you kind of leaped into the lineup. What did you, what was the main takeaway, like from your freshman year to your sophomore year of, like I said, kind of going from a bench player to like, all right, I'm going to get considerable minutes every night. I mean, what mm -hmm. was the lesson learned from one year to the next? Um, you know, I knew like my freshman year, I don't think I was as bad. I, I got caught up in, you know, the offensive numbers. And so uh, my freshman, we had a really good team. We had a lot of talent. You know, you'd scooch at the at the one, and then you had guys like Charles and Kyle and Daryl and uh, Deshaun came back later in the year, and Bobby Worley was in the lineup, and Big Steve was playing, Kendall, and all those guys. Like that's a really talented team, and so um, I kind of got caught up in you know my offensive game needs to you know give me minutes. When in all reality, the reason I wasn't getting minutes is because defensively I just wasn't up to par. I wasn't I wasn't able to to really guard. Um, I really wasn't fast enough at the time to guard a wing or, or a smaller guard. And I really wasn't big enough because I was still this scrawny freshman uh, to guard post players at the college level. So it was just kind of, I was kind of a tweener at the time. So I knew going into that offseason um, that I needed um, to just kind of lock in. And I, I knew I wasn't always going to be, you know, the guy with the quickest feet just because that's just how, that's how my body is. That's how my body um, developed. But 
I knew I could become a better uh, team defender. So, you know, being in the right positions, helping out other guys, um, you know, anticipating using angles and whatnot. So um, that was the biggest thing that I focused on. And then then obviously continue to work on uh, my offensive game. Um, So I think that's the, the biggest reason why I cracked that lineup my sophomore year. I'm sure there are like a lot of younger players that are going to listen to this just in our fan base alone that, um, you know, have watched your game over the last five years, but, you know, hearing you talk about how, you know, you kind of diagnosed a couple of things that were weaker in your game and things where you were stronger mm-hmm. right off the bat. I mean, would you say that like self-awareness is probably the, the best trait you can have going into being a college basketball player? Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you, if you think your, your, your weaknesses aren't going to, you know, you, so when I was growing up, um, everybody always talked about, you know, I had coaches tell me, don't basically don't show the opponent what you're bad at. So if you're going to you know, like, for me, example, I'm not an OB top and I'm not going to go set a screen and go lo- run to the rim and try to dunk a ball. Like, that's just not my, wait, not what? My, this is not who I am. Are you shitting me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you believe that? So just understanding your role and understanding what you're good at, you know, as a player is, is definitely huge. And once you are willing to understand what you're good at and try to stick to what you're good at. It makes you look a lot better. It makes the people around you look a lot better. So um, I think once I figured that out, um, it would definitely help me out as a player altogether. So I knew going into off season, what I needed to work on. um, That's when you work on your weaknesses. You you try not to work on them during the season. You just try to stick to your strengths. And then once off season comes, you work on your weaknesses. And so those eventually hopefully balance out and become your strengths. So, yeah, I'd say self-awareness is, is huge as a basketball player. No doubt. And again, I just always, I think it's always, um, you know, important to kind of ask those things of guys that have been through it and kind of been through the grind because there are just a lot of younger guys that don't necessarily know, you know, not necessarily what it takes. Cause that's kind of an old man thing. Like, Oh, this is what it takes to be a college basketball player. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. It's just yeah, like, no. here's, here's what guys that are successful at the next level do. Just like if you go to the NBA, there's certain things that guys do, you know, why they're successful, like their daily routines or the way that they practice and the way they prepare, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the same goes for, for college players um and so not that we're fast forwarding too much but your freshman sophomore year there you guys went back-to-back tournaments and you got bounced in the first round mm-hmm. you know w- would you say that you took like learnings away from those losses that, that's helped you now or is it just kind of like the journey that kind of got you here I mean I guess the question mm-hmm. is more along the lines of like are there lessons to be gleaned from losing in the first round of the tournament yeah yeah for sure I know um so so my throughout this whole past year uh, when we were winning all these games and coming into the postseason, you know, I turned to the younger guys like Jalen and Obi and, and all those guys. And I was like, listen, like I've never really won an a 10 game. Like I think my freshman year where I don't even know if I really played, we beat Richmond and any other time in the a 10 tournament, we lost my sophomore year. We lost to Davidson, yep. the junior, my junior year we that I sat out, we lost to VCU. And then my junior year that I played in, we lost to um, St. Louis. Yep. So I, I turned to them. I was like, to be honest, like we could be, we're 18 and 0. We're, you know, number one team in the con- or in the conference and one of the best teams in the country. But once it comes postseason, like all that stuff gets thrown out the window. You have to bring it. Like you can't, um, you can't come one game and, and be lax days, of course, because it could catch catch up with you. And that's just college basketball. So, um, you know, I, I try to keep everybody focused and locked in. 
um, anytime we were, we were doing stuff just, to, just so I knew going into the game that we were well prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you obviously had that hindsight just kind of being there for so long. Right. Um, mm-hmm. exactly. As we, as we kind of get there, uh, slowly, but surely stay with me listeners. I promise we're going to cover it all soup to nuts. Um, yeah, that, that season that, that you sat out, um, what, what was kind of the routine there? Cause you had what two hips replaced, right? On both sides. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't replacements. Um, it was bilateral, um, microscopic hip surgery. So basically they went in and they kind of resurfaced my hip. So I didn't get a completely new hip, but they shaped it into like a normal hip. So it was kind of like a, my hips before were kind of square peg in a round hole. And then after a while, um, they were just kind of grinding together and it caused a lot of pain. Um, I know like my sophomore year in the middle of the season, I would just, you know, there'd be days and practices and shoot arounds where I'd wake up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like how am I supposed to play basketball again? So I got to the point where I talked to our trainer, uh, Michael K. Uh, went and got, talked to doctors, got an MRI and figured out what was wrong. And I wanted to, to do the surgery because I was in that much pain. And so I was like, I don't want to play basketball if I'm going to be in this much pain. So I'd like to at least change it so I can have another opportunity to play again. So yeah. I'm glad I did it. And then, um, you know, my junior year I sat out, it was tough because um, we were 14 and 17 and I was rehabbing. So I wasn't really able to help the team at all. I was I'm, Obviously I was going to practice and whatnot, but um, I wasn't on the court with the guys until really the end of the season. I was, getting a little bit of uh, reps on scout team, but like not enough to really, to really make much of an impact. So did you, had you decided that you were going to sit out the season before Archie had said that he was leaving or after? I can't even remember that. Um, so I didn't know for sure if I, how long the recovery was uh, before Arch left. And then after he left and coach Grant came, that's when I found out all the details. So, uh, I remember going into Coach Grant's office, and I, at the time, I didn't really know much about Coach Grant. Like, obviously, I knew he was a, a player at Dayton. Mm-hmm. I knew his track record in terms of coaching at his previous uh, teams, but I didn't know what type of person he was, whether he was, you know, going to try to rush me back so I could help out the team this year or anything. So, uh, going into his office, I went and I told him, I was like, Coach, like, I'm going to have these two hip surgeries. It'll be close to the end of the season. Like, I could try to rush and come back. And all this stuff, but Coach Grant immediately—that's um, when I knew, like Coach Grant, he's like he's a real he's a real dude. He came up to me, he said, "Ryan, you know, basketball is is good and all, but I want you know the person comes first. So, however long it takes you to rehab these hips, like I'm willing to redshirt redshirt you the whole year. Um, if you're back early and you want to play, you can play, but you don't have like I'm not going to pressure you into anything. So, uh, we're just going to go with what the doctor wants to do um, and move forward with that. Was and that- so after I got done. After I got done with that conversation, I was like, oh, thank God, because I was I was nervous. I didn't know how he was going to react. So uh, to, so to get that reaction uh, meant a lot to me. Was that your first conversation with him like ever? Uh, no, he talked to me on the phone um, recently, and I think it was a couple weeks before. So we, we had some uh, conversations, you know, small talk, but nothing like really, really serious. Yeah, um, that was kind of our first time. Yeah, yeah, he's got to shake the virtual hand before he, he gets on the staff. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where where were you when? Uh, what were you doing when you found out that Archie was leaving? Did he call in a meeting before he announced it, or did you have to find out like via Twitter or something random? Uh, so this this is kind of funny as well. Um, it, so our assistant coach. So there's obviously rumors with Archie leaving and whatnot. So the um, I'm Zerus Williams is like my best friend. So we we roomed together. So we were in there. 
talking it up. And then we got a text message from one of our assistant coaches. And he was like, hey, like there's a team meeting, blah, blah, blah. So we're like, oh, gosh, like either a teammate got in trouble or Arch is leaving. Who so we went into the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or someone like that. But uh, <laughs> we went. My words, not your words. My words. Yeah, those, okay, are, yeah. those are your words. I didn't say yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so we got in there and we're waiting for Arch to come in. And we, everybody's like scrolling through Twitter. And then we see on Twitter that Arch took the job at Indiana. And this is before, this is like literally like two minutes before Arch walked in. And right when he walked in, he was, he didn't have any Dayton gear on. So we, I mean, we knew right away that he was, he took a job. So, but I mean, at the same time, obviously as a player, you're a little upset just because he recruited you and you wanted to be a part of uh, what he created, but you know, you can't blame the guy for going to IU. It's one of the best programs in the country. So, um, I love that he took yeah. off the quarter zip before he even walked in. Like, couldn't have it on. Like, he could have, you know, he could have worn it for like the last meeting or something. You know, just yeah. to appearances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I always, <clears throat> I always ask Isaac because it's it's such a unique scenario, and I don't think anybody that's listening like has a perspective of of what that moment's like. You know, just. Being bought into a team, like you said, being bought into a program, a vision, um, a system, and then you know a, a new guy comes in, and the guy that's walking out the door is basically just doing so under his own personal benefit that no one can really scorn him for one way or another. And and most mm-hmm. most rational, normal, intelligent fans are kind of the same as as me and you saying like you know it was in Arch's best interest, and you know it's it's a job you have to take in the landscape of, of college hoops, so you get it. Um, yeah. What yeah. what's the biggest difference? Um, you know, did you see it right away or just see it after a while? Biggest difference between Archie and and um, and Coach Grant, you know, just maybe from a basketball standpoint or just kind of how he handled meetings or whatever. One thing that's like very similar to them is that they're they're both really competitive. Like I know uh, college coaches and at the college level, you have to be competitive. But that was like the first thing that really stood out to me was how competitive both guys were. Uh, Coach Grant obviously is a little more laid back. Um, he's not going to, you know, get up in your face and. And yell at you as much as as Arch would, um, but you know their coaching styles were obviously different in terms of Coach Grant has had more of an NBA background, mm-hmm. so um, I think that kind of mellowed him out. Uh, I know I was talking to assistant coach who was here, Coach Kane, uh, who's on Coach Grant's staff when he was at VCU, I believe, in uh, Alabama, and. He was telling me how how mellowed out Coach Grant got when he went to the NBA. So I think that definitely translated uh, to how he coached us this past three years. Um, and then with Arch, like I said, he was a little more um, animated, as you could see on the on the sidelines and stuff, yelling and screaming. But that's just kind of how he that's kind of how he was coached. I think when he was younger. So that's just um, <laughs> yeah. that's the way he applied um, his coaching style now. And I I even think just watch him a little bit. Obviously, he has his moments, but I think Arch is has mellowed out a little bit just because I don't think you can coach necessarily um, all that screaming and yelling as much now uh, with some of these players. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, it's not even so much like with the players as it is like the perception because perception, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the perception of like what's acceptable. And like, because think about it, like I talked to some of the guys uh, like Roosevelt Chapman and uh, Kevin Conrad, they came on before the Colorado game. 
And I asked them certain questions about their playing days in the eighties. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, did you guys, you know, go home and watch highlights on sports center? And they're like, dude, we didn't have highlights. We didn't have games televised. Like nobody played the game for the recognition of like what came with it. We just played because we loved the game and we were good at it, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas like yeah. nowadays, you know, look how look at how guys are recruited, right? It's like here's here's what you look like in a jersey. Here's what your photo day looks like. It's all about yeah. like what's the perception of the program, and and so mm-hmm. um, I bring all this up to kind of come full circle because. I got this question a lot from Indiana people and people on Twitter just in general that would ask me, like, uh, you might have seen it, like, a couple of games before the end of the season, Archie, like, slammed the clipboard out of, I think it was uh, uh, Ostrom's hand. And people were like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, look how ridiculous Archie is being at Indiana. And I luckily had the, like, the gif of him doing that. Uh, I think to Ostrom, same like same guy in Dayton, like a couple of years before. And I'm like, listen, like, I don't know where you all got it in your head that like, this is so crazy for Archie Miller, but like, this is who he is. Like his dad's, yeah. his dad coached like that. You know, he's from Pittsburgh. Like I am. And I've met plenty of like, you know, Mr. Miller's before in Pittsburgh, the coach hoops, like that's just who he was. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so I was always curious, like if, if Grant's background as an NBA guy was going to help him or hurt him, because to your point, Archie always strikes me as a college coach. Whereas like when, when AG was hired, I think a lot of the knock on him um, was just like, well, is he an NBA guy or a college guy? And it's funny to hear that Mm -hmm. you like said that he mellowed out after being in the NBA, because you would think that like, maybe that would make you high strung or, you know, I don't know because there's so many personalities in the NBA. Right. Whereas like Mm -hmm. in college, like you can manage all that because there's like real repercussions as opposed to like, Oh, what are you going to do? Like try to find me? Like guys don't give a shit in the NBA, like one way or another. Um, (laughs) so I, I guess what that knife can cut both ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you talk about coaching in the NBA. I obviously have no experience, but from what I've kind of gathered, um, you know, those players are making how much more money than the coach. So as a coach, you're obviously oh put at a, yeah, yeah uh, as a coach, you're kind of put in a pickle in terms of discipline and allowing your players to have freedom because at the end of the day, the NBA is for the fans and you want your best players out there to entertain the fans. So, I mean, obviously you want to win games and stuff like that, but all the money and stuff is wrapped up in entertaining the fans and making sure the game is played at a high level. So, um, you know, you want to win as a coach, you're forced to win as many games as possible and you want to keep your players happy and finding that fine line in between um, allowing your players to kind of do what they want and also having the discipline enough to do what you want them to do um, to win games. So I don't really know how all that stuff would work as a coach. Like I, have like I said, I obviously have no NBA experience. I just know, um, you know, from watching the games and whatever you read on Twitter and whatever you hear, rumor wise. But um, yeah, I mean, Coach Grant, he does such a good job at just allowing players to kind of go out there and play. Like I don't know if you noticed this past year, but from an offensive standpoint, we were just so good out there, just playing basketball. Like there wasn't a whole lot of thinking. Yeah, it was just free-flowing. Um, you know, we had a lot of players who could do a lot of things, and but we knew what our roles were. Like, obviously, you have Obi, who was our superstar, and then Jalen and, and whatnot. And then everyone else, we were just so good at our roles. And then that's what made us such an effective offense out there. And then defensively, 
Um, you know, we had our moments, you know, I think we could have been better defensively, but at the same time, when we needed to play, we needed to lock, lock up. We did that, um, for the most part. So, um, yeah, I mean, coach Grant, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, after being coached by coach Grant is that he just had an ability to get his players to lock in and, um, play kind of with this freeness about him. So going off of that, um, would you say that that was kind of a culmination of the last three years of, of what Grant was trying to instill in you guys as a program? Or do you think that he's kind of made tweaks each year you've come along? Because I'm sure like night one against uh, or night one, the year that you came back after your injury was much different than like, you know, three weeks ago when you guys were kind of rolling through conference play. So mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, it just it, it, I was always curious kind of if you saw those building blocks kind of taking you know, kind of taking shape after the last couple of years, or was it just this season you guys all kind of knew this is what we have to do to win games? No, I think he was definitely tweaking. Um, you know, last year was Coach Grant's – I mean, my redshirt so – redshirt junior was Coach Grant's second year coaching. So yeah. he was still honestly learning uh, us players. Um, you know, we had a de- – uh, after my junior year when all those guys transferred, um, and then my redshirt junior year, we kind of had a new team uh, with all with all the guys who didn't re- didn't return, and we added OB, and then um, you know you had guys like Jordan Davis and Jalen who are still sophomores, really trying to play you know big time college minutes. Yep. Um, so kind of implementing all that stuff together, I think Coach Grant was still kind of learning the players and the personnel and uh, what would work best uh, with this personality he has. So. Um, you know, Coach Grant, he's always making tweaks and he's always checking out different things, whether it's in practice or in games to see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And then I, I think this year we were able to to find that happy medium where Coach Grant knew, you know, what we needed to do. And then but he also allowed us players to kind of go out there and just make reads ourselves. And I think as a player, that's important because when you're out there playing, you don't want to think too much. Like you obviously you want to outsmart your opponents, but at the same time, you want to uh, use your instincts and kind of react to what the defense gives you and, and kind of go from there. Yeah. And that's what I've heard so many times just from coaches when they try to simplify the game is that, you know, basketball is a game that is fundamentally built on many, many split second decisions. Like you can't pre-plan yes. what you're going to do and you can't pre-plan how you're going to get to the bucket or, you yeah. know, like you said against Jared Utah, like how you're going to play defense before the, the person gets up in your chest. Like it's all those split second decisions. Um, so that, that year after you sat out, um, when you, when you came back night one, was it more jitters after the injury or were you kind of just ready to go? I mean, was it, was it tough to get back on the court at first and then was game action a little bit harder to acclimate to? I mean, how, how tough was the progression when you come back from a year of being injured? Um, at that point, uh, I was pretty well off my rehab in terms of my hips healing. It was all just a matter of getting your rhythm back on the court. Um, so it wasn't in terms of, you know, I was nervous about my hips not being like ready to go out there and, and, um, you know, perform at a high level. It was more of, I haven't played basketball in so long and I just need to play. Like that's ultimately what it came down to. So I was really just ready to go. Like I was working out all summer, all preseason. And I'm just like, I just need to play a game. Like I'm tired of working out. I'm tired of uh, playing in games that are kind of meaningless. Like I want to play in front of a crowd and in front of fans that um, appreciate, you know, good basketball. So um, I was just ready to go out there and play. It wasn't really 
um, a nervousness about whether my hips were going to not be ready or not. Now that that uh, 2019 season is uh, is in hindsight, um, you know, could you attribute any any one thing to you guys not making the tournament that year? Because I always said that um, last year, just when I would break down games or when I would talk about losses, I would basically say that you guys always seemed like it was like one play away from from winning the game. Or every time you guys got on the bubble, it, it was like we're, we're one game away from staying on the bubble. Um, I, I don't know. I, I never know how guys in the locker room kind of digest that stuff as the season's going mm. on. And I was curious, like if you guys, especially yourself and Trey, look back on that junior season as like, you know, here's what went wrong for us or here's what was missing on that roster. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, talent wise, I think we were good enough uh, yeah. to to play in the tournament. I don't think talent was an issue at all. Um, that's kind of what like I was you saying. Said, like that's exactly yeah. what I meant. Was like it always seemed like the talent was there, but then like there was just something, you know, something missing. I never know if that's just something you guys put your finger on. Yeah, I think uh, it was just we weren't able to win the close games. Like we, I, I remember tons of games where we were right there and we just didn't we just didn't close it out. I mean the first game that comes to mind is obviously Virginia when we were in the Bahamas. I think we I think that was, you know, a close game the entire time. And yeah. it, I mean good teams at the end of the game, they're gonna they're gonna win games and Virginia was obviously better better than better than us when it came to that. And and so um, you know, that's the first game that came to mind. And then Mississippi State, I think we were winning by about six points or Something like that with like five minutes to go. We ended up losing that one at home. That was a top 25 team. Yep. Um, so like you said, just those close games. And then the last game that comes to mind is the Rhode Island game at home when we were, I think, right there on the bubble. We definitely needed to beat Rhode Island at home. Yep. And we ended up losing that game in overtime. So, um, you know, we just didn't have the mentality that, you know, we have to win this game like, like by any means necessary. And I don't know if that attributed to anybody or, or anything going on. I just think as a team, um, we just didn't understand that fully. So looking back on it, if I had to, if I had to, you know, name something, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Just not, not being able to finish those close games. It's not understanding what we needed to do. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly didn't know this until I just looked now. Um, but that Rhode Island game in, uh, 2019 was, uh, was your career high night, my friend, 23 points. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. 23, wow. <laughs> there you go. I didn't know that either. I I like to think that I know a lot of these nerd stuff, like trivia things that people aren't supposed to know. But um, yeah, that one snuck up on me, man. I am conveniently interrupting this program to remind you to support local businesses when it comes to buying your CBD products as well. Go to healthnetics.com. Use promo code FLYERS for 20% off your order. That's healthnetics.com. Promo code FLYERS. For 20% off your order, again, run by UD grads, healthnetics.com for all your CBD needs. Back to the show. Now that, um, you know, we can certainly close the book on on that uh, that season and, and how uh, that 2019 season ended, um, you know, with an NIT. But, um, you know, going into this year, what would you say was the biggest difference? I mean, you guys totally turned the corner. You were a completely different team than you were last year. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what, what was the biggest thing for you? Um, I think we just had that extra year of experience and then we added all those transfers who, um, who didn't try to do too much when they came, yeah. uh, when they came into the lineup. I think that's some guys, when they transfer, they want to be the guy right away. And 
what made our team so special is that we at a at early on we knew that our guy was going to be Obi. Like yeah. we knew that obviously at the end of the season when he was, you know, getting twenty and ten a night. Um, and then once you got further along in into this past season, he was still that same guy and he was even better. Um, so we knew that we had, you know, a monster at the five spot and he was a mismatch for most fives out there. Um, we knew he had an advantage every game going in, going into the game. So as other players, we knew that in order for us to be really good, we have to buy into our roles and excel at those roles. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing. When you guys go out to Maui, um, you know, you absolutely just, you know, ran over Georgia and Virginia tech there before you guys were playing Kansas, but, um, you know, Kansas, it's fair to say they were the best team you guys played all year. Uh, I think it's accurate to say mm-hmm. the best team you played, obviously they're number one team in the country. Um, <laughs> but in that game, like that feel, you guys kind of had them against the ropes. Uh, was there anything specifically that stood mm-hmm. out to that game? I mean, because obviously we could sit here and be like, yeah, this play, we did this and this play, we did that. I mean, we all kind of remember, and it was like on ESPN this last week, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, a lot of people wanted to watch that game. I was like, well, I don't want to watch games we lost, so I'm out. I'm watching that game again. Um, <laughs> did you watch it again? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wa- yeah, I watched it. Yeah, oh man, you're it. like that guy. You ever seen Fever Pitch, the Red Sox movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. That first scene in the movie where he starts watching like the Bill Buckner play, and he's like, he's got like chips all over his mouth, and they're like, "All right, <laughs> yeah. let's go clean him up." That's what you reminded me of. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, did anything. I mean, I was stand out. In yeah, that game? I was bored. Yeah, I was bored at home, so I. I I saw someone on Twitter was tweeting about it. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to watch the game. Who cares? Who cares? But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's better than watching Netflix. So I hear you. Um, no, one thing, uh, I don't know one thing. I know after rewatching it again, um, you know, we were up eight or six or eight on Kansas with like, once again, like six minutes left to go. So, yeah. um, you know, we were right there. I th- I knew that was like the first game this in the season this past season where I'm like okay like I don't really know what the outcome's gonna be like I know we're a really good team but Kansas is supposed to you know Kansas is a blue blood they're always one of the best programs in the entire country every year mm-hmm. so this will be like our true like first test and once we come out and we played with them we were you know I think it was tied or we were down one or up one at halftime I knew that like this team like we have a really really good team. And so looking back on it, I think we were a few turnovers that kind of hurt us. And obviously, whenever Azubuki can get 30 and Dotson get 30 on you, you're probably not going to win. You're probably not going to beat Kansas too many times. But we were still right there at the end of the at the end of the day. Um, so what was I was going to say, what, what was Grant's message on the way home? He was proud of us. I mean, obviously, you want to try to win that game, but for us to compete with a, a team like that, he was just saying how proud he was of us and how we came to Maui and we were kind of unheard of and no one really knew about us around the country. And we just, you know, obviously we beat up on those two Power Five teams before the Kansas game, and we were right there in the Kansas game. We had a chance, um, you know, to put them away, and obviously we didn't, but we kind of proved to the country that you know Dayton was legit this year. Dayton could could definitely have a chance to win a national championship. Yeah, and I said the same thing. Um, I remember right before the Kansas game started, I said, you know, hey, guys, like, regardless of what happens in this game, like, you guys were going to come home ranked. Like, that was a foregone conclusion even before the tip-off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and certainly you guys kind of solidified that, like, while you were out there. Um, 
looking at the rest of the non-con, uh, there were certainly things that, that we can pick and choose. Like, uh, you know, I thought the, the St. Mary's game, you guys play extremely well. And the Colorado game was a couple of bounces from going your way. And I always tell people, mm-hmm. like, if that shot rims out, like, you guys, you know, hadn't lost any games. But exactly, um, you know, exactly, with, yeah. without really playing that game too much, were there times in the non-conference where you had to get on the guys to to kind of pick it up a little bit? And the reason I ask, obviously, is because you play some of those teams where – um, I said this on our show like so many times where people are like, our guys are taking plays off. And I'm like, well, they know that Houston Baptist is not as good as them guys. Like they're very <laughs> well aware that that team's like not yeah. as good, not like shitting on their name or anything like that. But um, yeah, you know, as you went through the season where there's some games where you, know, you felt like the team was kind of letting the, the pedal off the gas a little bit and you had to get on them as a senior. Yeah, there were there were some times. Um... You know, but I will say one thing about this team is that we didn't have to necessarily do it too much because we had a veteran group of guys for the most part. I mean, Jalen was a junior. He played, you know, he was started for pretty much those all three of those years. Yeah. Um, and then you had Obi who had a year under his belt, me and Trey, obviously. And then um, Rodney and Ibby, they all played significant minutes when they tran- before they transferred. They knew what it took, so. It, it wasn't necessarily getting on them, but you know, like as a player, like you said, you go into games and you just have a different feeling, a different ampness about you when you're playing at Kansas rather than playing at Gremlin State. Like, yeah, yeah. you just know, like, it's just it's just different. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to bring your A game every game. Um, and I thought for the most part, we did that. Like you said, there were some lapses where we kind of got lackadaisical, but I thought we were probably one of the most consistent teams all, all season. No, absolutely. You were uh, numbers showed it. Um, if you want to go deep dive analytics, I mean, that's why uh, you guys were up there in the top five of Ken Palm all year because, yeah, and I think that's why there wasn't a whole lot of validity or um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of credence that was paid to the argument of like, Oh, you guys didn't play as hard of a schedule as a big 10 team. Cause it's like, well, the, you know, the numbers are what they are. Like Gonzaga doesn't play a strength or a strong schedule most years out in the West coast conference, but their numbers are what they are. And they, they show improve in the tournament so that they're clearly not a fluke. And, you know, Ken Palm numbers have been there for like 20 years. Like those aren't a fluke either. So yeah. whatever those are mm-hmm. saying, like those are generally pretty accurate. Um, yeah. Would you say that there was a point in the A-10 tournament where you guys said turn to corner and, and kind of realize that 18 and 0 was real to you? Because, you know, early on, I remember specifically, I re- there was like a tweet that went out when you guys had won against VCU at home. And that was the fourth A-10 game. So it was like, all right, 4-0, you know, we're, we're kind of chugging along. And I remember Grant saying, like, 4-0 is not the goal. Like, that's not what we're after. Nobody gives gets a trophy for being 4-0. Um, was there that turning point in conference play where the, the undefeated season kind of felt a little bit more real to you? Uh, I don't know if they – I would say there's one specific game. Um, obviously, the game at St. Louis when, uh, when Jalen hit that – the game winning three, I think was one turning point. We're like, okay, like we kind of dodged the bullet there. Like we need to, to focus in cause we have a legitimate chance of making history. And then yeah. as we got closer to the 18 and 0 mark as a team, we were like, okay, like we want to do this. Like we're, we're not satisfied. Like when we clinched uh, the a 10 champs, we we're like, okay, like that's cool. Like 15 and 0, like that's cool. But we want to go 18 and 0. Like we want to be the first team to do that and make history. So, um, it was pretty cool as a senior uh, to see those to see everybody on the team like buy in. Like it would be very easy for a guy like Obi, you know, he's you know guaranteed pretty much conference player of the year for him to be lackadaisical. Like a guy like Jalen, who 
has been awesome all year. But for them to keep that focus the entire time, it was, you know, it, it just showed a lot about our team and what we wanted to accomplish um, and how we didn't get satisfied. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the main reason for, for getting together today is, is kind of talk about just how we're all uh, feeling empty to a certain degree. And I was going to get on last week and do this like whole thing where I like talked about like how we all felt as fans, but it felt really um, not disingenuous to me, but it felt misplaced because like it really, I'm sure paled in comparison to, to what you guys um, had go on last week. So um, last week, you know, Wednesday, you're fully playing the tournament as is when you wake up in the morning and then by Thursday, right around five o'clock, uh, nothing's being played across the board. So, um, what, what was that 48 hour period like for you guys? Because if I'm not mistaken, most of the news broke while you're on the flight to Brooklyn. So none, none of the listeners are ever privy to these kinds of things of like what you guys did or what you went through. And now that it's all definitively behind us and canceled and we're not going to see a tournament this year. I mean, what were those 48 hours like for you guys? Yeah. So I kind of go down the timeline. Um, so we left Wednesday night and then when we got off the flight Wednesday night, um, we were driving to our hotel and that's when we found out that we were going to play without fans. So originally as players were like, man, like this, you know, this sucks. There's not going to be anybody in the gym. Like, um, you know, there's just going to be, it's going to be like a, our secret scrimmage at the beginning of the season. Like that's what kind of what it's going to feel like. like oh, our, you're like our old pal Sully's going to be there, but that's not quite enough guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Those are actually verbatim words that came to our mind. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So going forward, uh, we felt we were talking to the team, like all of us, we were talking about that. And then, uh, we got to the hotel and I roomed with Davey Watson on, on road trips and we were just sitting there watching and they were watching the NBA and everybody was obviously the, the big news at the time was NBA is going to play without fans. And so that was like a huge deal. And then they broke the news that Rudy Gobert had uh, coronavirus. And then that's when me and Abby started talking. They're like, they're about to cancel. Like, and then the NBA canceled their season and we were talking, we're like, well, if the NBA canceled their season, like, or postpone their season, then that means, you know, the NCAA is, is definitely next. And then that's when Thursday morning we woke up, didn't really know um, what was going to happen. As of, as of I think it was like 8 a.m., we woke up, we had breakfast and stuff, and we were talking, and Coach Grant was saying, like, as of right now, the A-10 tournament's on, we're just going to play without fans. Like, we're going to find out who we play. This is Thursday morning, so we're going to find out who we play. It's between VCU and UMass. Right after that game, we're going to go practice, get, get prepared for the game on Friday. And then as the morning continued on, it got closer to that noon, that noon game. And that's when all the conference teams or conference tournaments started to get canceled. So um, Coach Grant had us all. We had a team meeting and we, you know, told us about that. And obviously it was really, really sad and really disheartening after the season we had. We wanted to, to keep on playing. And then Coach Grant goes, I don't know what they're going to do about the NCAA tournament. No one. I said anything, um, but we're going to um, get get our stuff. And we're going to get ready to go to uh, back to Dayton and kind of see what happens from there. And then right before we take off, that's when the Twitter news broke um, about their, their canceling uh, March Madness. So, and we went on the plane. After we got off the plane, we had our, you know, official last team meeting um, as that 2019-2020 team. 
and it was pretty horrible meeting to say the least it was so sad it was so sad sorry about that it was just uh you know everybody was kind of crying just because we had such a special season and then especially for the Dayton community what they what they went through this past year and for us to kind of give them that um, glimpse of positivity in life and you know being a top three team in the country and have a legitimate chance to make a national championship run and for it to just end like that it was just yeah it was just disheartening it, it was so sad but yeah I mean that's kind of the timeline of it and now I'm sitting here doing a podcast with Sully so <laughs> yeah man um and, and that's like I said that's exactly why I didn't really feel the need to go on last week or, or do some like emergency show and talk about how the sky is falling or how I felt because frankly like how I feel doesn't really like it doesn't make any fucking difference like you know and and I didn't think that coming on here immediately, like I'm not going to be like a voice of consolation for people. And and I didn't want to be, you know, I was feeling mm-hmm. it just like any other fan was, um, you know, truth be told, like I had, I had said this story to you before we came on and for the listeners, cause I haven't really recorded anything since we, uh, since we came back out of this kind of fog, if you will. But um, I was sitting at work. Uh, I woke up on Thursday with my bag packed like I was going to jump on the blue line in Chicago and go to O'Hare about four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was supposed to be uh, in LaGuardia by like 9 p.m. Thursday night, uh, still ready. And, you know, it was uh, no fans, but the media was still allowed in. So I was kind of like, wow, this is great. Like, not only is this going to be great for me personally covering the team, um, but you know, they're still in media. And so I, you know, the games are still gonna be played. It was kind of a silver lining mm-hmm. for me personally. Yeah. Um, you know, just a little bit of selfishly because I was like, man, you know, there's not gonna be a lot of people covering the tournament. And then, you know, all the news broke and I'm sitting there at work, like, you know, backpack behind me scrolling Twitter. And it's just like, everything's canceled. And in that moment, you know, I was just kind of thinking about you guys more so than like how I felt, but um, sure enough, I went down to like a lounge in the WeWork building that I'm in and I just kind of sat there because I didn't know, like for people, I- I'm sure that people listening to this all felt some range of emotions, but for me, like it was just kind of empty. Like I can't describe it as sad. I really wasn't sad. It like at first, I mean, of course I was kind of after the mm. fact, but like as a fan, you just feel you feel empty. And, um, yeah. you know, what, what was your like immediate reaction? You remember like how you immediately felt before it kind of flipped over to sadness I mean, it was a disbelief. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, it was more disbelief in the fact that I didn't want to believe it. So like once the, once the A-10 tournament got canceled, I remember thinking in my head, like they're probably going to cancel the NCAA tournament, but I also, there's a part of me that was like, I hope they don't, like, they can't. They got to postpone it, and I was just thinking of all this stuff in my head, like, there's a lot of money within the NCAA tournament, like, they got to postpone it. And then once they came out with that statement, that's when it all just, like, hit me. Like, and obviously, like, as a player, you want to play, and you want to keep going for the fans, and you want to keep, you know, this magic, this almost this magical run that we were having, like you want to just keep going, keep on going, keep on going. You never want it to end. Um, but at the same time, like since it, I was a senior, like it, I think it, it hit me even more that this was the last time I get to put on a Dayton uniform. And like, this is the last time I get to go out there and play with my teammates who I've, you know, I had the pleasure of growing a relationship the past four or three years with this specific group of guys. Um, so like that, that definitely hurt me. Um, 
the the most I'd say. And then obviously, obviously you said it's just this emptiness that like the season's just going to have an asterisk on it. Like I know it's the best season, regular season ever, but for us not to get to the postseason is just like you just want to know what would have happened, but obviously nobody will. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody will. And that's why I, I was kind of, um, you know, obviously the fan sentiment started to churn up about like getting these like 2020 national championship t-shirts and like all this shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. listen guys, like I, I know that some people are hurting right now, but like, that's not how I'm going to cope with it. All right. Like, you know, celebrating something <laughs> yeah. that didn't happen. And um, the it's, it's hard to kind of, process you're right i mean i think that was the the biggest thing you said there was like it's hard to process at first because it's such a unique scenario and um and i heard uh gary Parrish from cbs sports said uh last week he's like seniors have their seasons end on crazy circumstances all the time but just like given the weight of this particular situation i think is what makes it a little bit different um Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I just can't, it's hard for anybody to, to put ourselves in your shoes because you, you've worked for, like you said, the last three and a half, four years on an outcome that you know is going to be there. And, um, you always want to have that moment be real and not like taken from you. And, and of course, what I mean by that is like, if, um, if you guys were you know, to win it all, that that's obviously what we're all you know going for here. But even having that like moment of finality where it's like, um, you know, they, they hit the shot on us and, and the season's over and we lost like those are human moments, whether you want them or not, like losing sucks. But that's more human and more of a raw emotion than people being like, hey, guess what? You're actually never playing again regardless. You know what I mean? Like, you'd almost Mm -hmm. rather have that, like, heartbreaking moment than, like, what went down because you just don't... Like, now you kind of always have that, like, what-if scenario. I I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, you just want to have that opportunity. Like, even if you fail, like, even if we got a one seed and we lost to, like, a 16 seed, like at least we had a chance to play in March Madness, and there's some, like you said, uh, you know, fi- uh, you know, finalized or fin- what'd you say, finality? Yeah, finality. Is that a word? Yeah, that's a word. I swear finality. to God. Yeah, I know. I, okay. I've been brushing okay. up so, on my vocabs now that I do a podcast. <laughs> okay. I wasn't I like that you. when I graduated from UD. I swear. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I see you with that. That's a that's a nice word. Uh, so yeah, like you said, some finality to the season. Uh, yeah, there's just this, that emptiness to it. But obviously, you know, as a as fans, I think we should still be like it, it sucks, but we should still be grateful for having you know the best season ever in Dayton history, regular season wise. Um, like you said, it sucks, but you got to have some perspective to this situation that's going on. I know that's what I tried to do to kind of make it hurt less. You know, if this can't, if canceling March Madness, you know, happens to save some lives, then, you know, you take, you take that over, over anything. So. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I, we're not, I always try to stray away from um, saying always like what's politically correct and all that. We don't need to go down that path. Mm. And we all kind of know like the situation at hand and how serious it is. And, mm. and thankfully yeah. the, um, the measures were taken to keep everybody safe goes without saying. Um, but it, you know, it's always, um, I think productive to look at it through the lens that we all care about, which is college hoops and, and watching you guys and watching the team and, and being fans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even for me, it, it just felt a little bit more real this year because I was like supposed to be there in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, I was just so looking forward to the tournament for 
meeting um not not only just kind of being in the press room i probably would have slipped like in a name question at one of you guys just to, like when you weren't expecting it um something that was like <laughs> a really stupid question but um you know, on top of that i wanted to meet some of the guys that cover the conference that i've made really good friends with um just over the years on twitter you know we go back and forth and guys from umass from george mason from vcu um all across the conference, I'm not selectively leaving out other people. Every team has great fans I've interacted with and come in contact with. And I think that that was one thing that I wanted to get across to people of why it's allowed to hurt. You know, that's why it's a, you're allowed mm -hmm. to, to be sad and be emotional about it because a lot of these guys that I'm talking about right now, and even Dayton fans that listen to this, that I don't know. A lot of them come up to me when I'm at Flanagan's. And of course, now that you're graduated and you get to come to games as a fan, you're going to get this too. Like you'll have people come up to you and just say hi and say like, Hey, I love the last show or in your case, Hey man, like loved you watching you play for the flyers. And, and you don't know these people, but you have that common bond. Cause you, you watch flyers hoops together. You know, you played and now you're going to be a fan for the rest of your life. Like we are. And so I, I think my message to everybody that wanted to talk to me about it was, hey, like, it's OK to, to be sad about this because this is who we are. Like, this is who I am. I've been following the program for 30 years. My dad followed it long before I did. And there's people mm -hmm. out there that have followed it much longer than I've been alive or my dad's been alive. And, um, you know, so many people I have friends of this podcast that. Uh, that went through divorce or um, they lost a child that had like really personal things happen to them, but they came to our website or they came to the TV to watch Flyers Hoops to get a break from all of that. And mm -hmm. I think it's a good time like of this cast just to remind people like that's totally cool to feel sad for something like this because it's not stupid. Like it's something that we invest multiple hours and multiple times a week. And it's always a break from everyday life. Just in the same case of like, you know, I'm sure you started playing basketball because it was something fun to do. But then like when hardships came up in your life, wasn't it great to just step on the basketball court for a couple hours and just like not think about any of those things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime uh, since I can remember my whole life, like if I was stressed or whatever it was, whether it was, you know, back home with my family or if it's just something, you know, and, and something that's bothered me, it's in the back of my head, I'll go to the gym and kind of that's always been my sanctuary and obviously playing in front of all these fans like awesome fans it's 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 always been something that I've can remember that's it's been amazing like I can't really describe it to you but yeah I know I know exactly what you're saying um with it being sad and kind of getting a whirlwind of emotions with everything um you know as a fan like I'm a fan of you know, the Bengals and the Reds and all them, like they've had their fair share of years where I'm like, this sucks. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit being a, I'm going to quit being a fan because every year, like I've been, I'm being heartbroken and stuff like this. And this year, especially like, especially for a Dayton fan, like it, there just, there was no really ending to it. It just all came to a screaming halt. So, um, I know exactly kind of what you're, what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, I just felt like it was a good time to kind of get that out in the air because like I said, like I've made so many friends, um, so even this past year where things have really taken off when we started to have interviews from guys that cover the sport nationally. I mean, I had a lot of guys that would come up to me and just say hi. And at first I kind of wanted to, not that I wanted to like hide from it, but I, I kind of wanted to downplay it because like, you know, it's just a podcast. Like I don't, I don't ever want to take myself too seriously or have other people take this too seriously or think that I'm doing something so profound, right? Like we're talking about basketball, mm -hmm. but in moments like this, 
um, it's okay to kind of look at, at what we do and what you guys do through a more serious lens because it is what brings us all together. Like it's what bonds us and it's what, like you said, has the Dayton community come together as 13,000 uh, a couple of nights a week from uh, November to March. And, and I think that in itself is special. And I think that's why everybody talks about Dayton the way that they do, because we've, uh, Mark Titus said this a couple of weeks ago, but he said, Dayton people make no qualms about the fact that there's nothing to do in our town. So that's why we watch college basketball. Like people make no qualms about that. Like, yeah, there's nothing to do around here, but like we got the basketball team. Um, so <laughs> it, like I, I certainly know that. I know, you know, that growing up in, um, in the area in Western Ohio. But, um, I, I think that I was just quick to hammer home the message of like, like, Hey, however you feel about this, like it's totally okay to feel that way because we have this, community of fans that, that has kind of always um that's always felt you know so strongly about supporting the team win lose or draw and then you know here mm. here we are um so like going off all of that was there one moment this season that, that you remember above the rest or um you know story you want to share now that uh, the mic is yours to bear all after the career's over Ah, one moment throughout the whole season. Um, yeah, I'll go this season. Let's say, not go the last five seasons because that's way too many. Yeah, We'd be here for another hour. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm the old guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd say, I'd say, uh, my senior night was probably one of the mo more special moments uh, in my career. I mean, I didn't have the game I wanted to. I know um, there was just kind of like leading up to the game. I had a lot of emotions going on in terms of it being my last game at the arena and last time put on the uniform. You know, I had a whole bunch of family, a whole bunch of people from um, my hometown coming back, St. Henry. Um, so I know going into the game, I was already emotional. And then um, just for us to win the A-10 championship and cut down the nets and just to see everybody, you know, go 18-0, and making history. And um, just to see where we were two years prior to that, going 14-17, and only winning, I think, like one game on the road in conference. And just to see how far we came as a program. Um, it meant a lot to me. Um, and just to see all those guys, all my teammates and stuff, smile, laugh, you know, some of them cried. Like it, it was just very cool to see that emotion that we've all put into this season um, for us to get to that night and kind of go out a, a champion um, was probably the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Well, you'll always have that, man, because for the rest of your life, you get to say that you won your final college basketball game. Think about how many guys get to say that. Think about that. Yeah, I guess I yeah I didn't really put that into perspective. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys. Usually one, yeah. a lot of guys in the class yeah, of 2020 one. will have that moniker, but you're one of them, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, that is pretty cool. I guess that's something I could tell my grandkids down the road. They're gonna be like, "Oh, you're a national champion." I said, "Well, not quite, but I did win my last game." So you do of that. my career, so yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah, you national champion or not, whatever. <laughs> is there? Uh, that now this is one that I wanted to get to and I saved the best for last, but now that you're done playing college hoops, what is the one thing that you will not miss about playing college hoops? The one thing that I will not miss. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's gotta be something um, you hated. Like, Oh fuck, we gotta do calisthenics today. Like, God damn it. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, the first thing that came to my mind is yoga. Oh Yeah. You guys still yeah, doing yoga I, in the rec, or do you have your own space well, yeah. for that? No, we didn't go to the rec. We just, we would used to do it in um, in our practice facility. We we do it like every Friday. Uh, I don't know why that's the first thing that came to my mind because 
me, like flexibility is a huge deal. Um, I'm not flexible by any means, but for me to be able to have at least some mobility within my body, I have to stretch a lot, but I always hated doing it. So I think one thing would be yoga. And then obviously like the early, early morning conditioning sessions, Oh yeah, uh, where you just run and run and run some more and it would just be miserable and i hate running but i love playing basketball so it doesn't really make sense yeah but um, when you're my age and you're a little bit fatter you're gonna wish you loved running my friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what everybody tells me that's what everybody tells me all the time they're like just wait wait till you you know put on some weight and then you're like oh crap maybe you should start running again <laughs> um but obviously like the school aspect like i'm, I'm five years of college and um some people they go longer than that doctors and whatnot but at all like I was always you know I finished um, my degree in mechanical engineering so I was either studying playing basketball lifting weights eating I had a little time to socialize uh, just because of the the schedule we had but um, you know you could say the schoolwork probably I don't know yeah no hey that's nothing new man well I don't I don't miss my schoolwork either so that's not like you're breaking yeah. news here um, and I'm sure it's way different how you guys are doing schoolwork than the average Joe like myself going through school um, so a couple other rapid fire questions before we let you go and again man it's it's been great to catch up and, and hear a lot of this stuff but um, there's things that have been on the mind of the fan base over the last five years the first of which is my question uh, right, when, you, you cut you cut out there. What, what was that? Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> um, the first of which is my question. Okay. Um, what was the first time that you became aware that your nickname was Chip among the fan base? How, were you aware of that at any point? Uh, so that was my freshman year. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so it was like early. Yeah, it was like right away. It was like right away. Um, <laughs> so my dad is like a huge follower of like the Dayton Twitter. Okay. He loves all this stuff. So like he would he would use your name a lot. He'd say Solly. I'm like, Dad, I don't know who Solly is. Like <laughs> no one like I see like I see your name on Twitter that people retweet and, and post stuff and he would talk about your podcast and stuff. So I'm sure he'll listen to this at some point. But uh My parents listen too, don't worry, man. Okay, great. Yeah. So it worked out. <laughs> um But yeah. Uh wait, what were we talking about? I lost I lost track. Oh, you're good. No, when I, I asked you about uh, when you realized your nickname was Chip amongst us. Oh, yeah, yeah, Chip, Chip, Chip. Yeah, yeah. So I guess there was this picture that somebody made of me. It had like, I don't know who wrote the article, but I think it was Blackburn Review. They like took a clip of me. I was like in a in some sort of uh, triple threat stance and there was like a halo over my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so that was like the first time. I don't know if you guys call me Chip, but I just remember that. Um yeah some and then everybody anytime i'd go out like on the court i'd hear some fan yell chip <laughs> so i i started to under i started to put two and two together like okay i get it yeah my, my nickname my nickname to the dayton fans is chip which <laughs> which is a pretty good nickname i mean all things considered oh yeah the mike sells potato chip company so yeah yeah that's what i figured i mean there was um you know sometimes names pop up and, and guys don't like them but i think you know you were in, in a good spot like i'll give you another example um when Luke Fabrizius had his first game, so this was like my freshman year because we were on the same hall, started same year, graduated same year, all that. And so we knew Luke and we went to the exhibition game when he played his very first game his freshman year. And he made his first three and we all just like instinctively were just like, Luke. And that literally <laughs> stuck like the whole next four years. 
And it was just like me and my buddies like being goofy in the second row. But when you're a freshman, mm-hmm. like if people hear something that they kind of like, they just latch on to it. And I yeah, and they like, just stick with it. Yeah. That's what it was. It was just like, oh yeah, like the potato chip company chip, like, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna roll with that. Um so yeah, you know, you always ha- you know, you have that from now on. And then I think the next season was when we made you like popping out a potato chip bag. Um I don't think any <laughs> yeah, credit was- for that. I'm not a graphic designer, but that, you know, we had that. Yeah, there was something. There was a joke going around. It was the uh, I, I like led the team in plus minus like by like a significant amount last oh, year, yeah, and there was just like Mike sells potato chip, <laughs> and there was like a giant picture of me on it. I was like, <laughs> okay, that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, we have a guy that makes those. Um, he's actually a graphic designer by trade. I can't do all this stuff myself. That's why we are a, a robust team here at the Blackburn Review. Um, but he, I, I will take zero credit for any of those pictures that went out. It was. It's always like. Here's how it goes. I'm always like, hey, can you make something out of this joke that I'm making, basically? So I say, like, I give him the pieces. I'm like, okay, we Uh have a picture of Ryan here, and then we have, like, a potato chip bag, and here's where we want to get to. I'm like, can you make me a picture? And then, like, a couple (laughs) of days later, he'll be like, here's your picture. Like, go ahead and use it. And he prefers to be anonymous, which is, like, great for all of us because then nobody gets in trouble, and it's all just good fun um yeah that's actually, yeah that's that's funny that's, so he, that's smart on his part that's what i mean so we have a nice little setup here of, of how this all yeah. goes down now that you're learning see i'm learning the inner workings of the team you're learning the inner workings of the bbr here um yeah this is this is high level stuff right here yeah exactly though no, this is good radio this is exactly what good radio is all about uh the other question that i got from fans was and this was from many fans this is way more numerous than the nickname thing is when did you start wearing your earpiece be- or your mouthpiece behind your ear? When did that all start? Because <laughs> that's the thing on Dane oh Twitter now. People are like, this is gross. Why does he do that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask him myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I started – so this is a funny story how I started wearing a mouthpiece. So when I was younger, I had some gaps in my teeth, so I went and got braces my eighth grade year. And then my freshman year, freshman um, going into basketball season, I hated like wearing a mouthpiece. So I – I was like, you know what, I'm not going to wear it. And then sophomore year came around. My dad, who is like big, he's like, we paid for all this money for your teeth and all this stuff. And like, so my sophomore year is when I'm supposed to get my driver's license. So I was like, dad, can I get my driver's license? And then he basically threatened me saying, hey, like you have to wear your mouthpiece because we paid all this money for your teeth to get fixed. And if you you know, lose a tooth, I'm going to be really upset. So <laughs> you cannot go get your driver's license until you start wearing the mouthpiece. So that's kind of how I got suckered into wearing that, the mouthpiece. And uh, during games, that's just kind of where I put it. It was either that or like my socks. So I didn't know where else to put it. And it was just easy access behind my ear. So <laughs> I just, I just went with it. I mean, you're not wrong. I can like, I don't know when you're playing football, you can always just like, you know, put it up in your face mask. So yeah, I guess. I mean, because but Steph Curry, he always pisses people off because all he does is like chew on it all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I guess I like your option better than Steph Curry because he's just constantly gnawing on his mouthpiece. <clears throat> yeah, I've always wondered like how those guys, what they do with their mouthpiece. I think they always like have like there's like a manager who's specifically for mouthpieces who like when they don't want it, he just goes and like gives them the container. Yeah. But obviously we don't have the luxury luxury of that. So um yeah, that's just kind of where I always put it. I know when I growing up, I watched uh, I was an Ohio State basketball fan, and Aaron Kraft um, is kind of from my area, so I always watched a lot of his games. And he wore a mouthpiece, and he always put it behind his ear. So I think 
that's kind of where I got my first idea of like, oh, well, if I wear a mouthpiece, I guess I could put it there. It's kind of gross, but <laughs> at the same time, it's my germ, so it's like not as gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, it all goes back to Aaron Kraft and Dayton basketball history one way or another, you know? There you go. There you go. <laughs> whether, whether it's the, v, the V. Sanford shot. That's what I mean. We covered that this year on the podcast. Now we've come full circle. Um it, it was that was that was one of my favorite stories uh, this year was like when B just talked about like, uh, you know, breaking down that play of how that all went down. Um, and, and that's what's funny. Like, usually when you guys come on and I talk about specific moments in the season, I'm always just like, oh, what about like that play or like that moment? But for you guys, like, I don't know if you feel this way, but you never really had that moment besides like Jalen shot in st louis but it wasn't really like a called play it didn't seem like he kind of just like he was like i'm taking this and i'm taking this shot so i usually ask like very specific things about hey how did this play Mm -hmm. out what did grant say in the huddle but i don't know man like it just didn't feel like you guys had like those signature moments it was more just like building and building. and i'm not taking anywhere from the season i'm basically just saying like it was building it was building you know it was win after win after win and there really Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't any of those like you know, we hit a shot at the buzzer or whatever. It was just kind of that one game in St. Louis, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I think for the most part, we didn't have a lot of close games. Um, Which is a good thing. You know, there was time, yeah, there was times where we'd get up like 20 and then the team would come back and it would be like a 10 single digit game. Then it would get a little interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, there wasn't really any moments other than the Jalen shot. Jalen hit some big shots this year. Now that after watching the Kansas game, yeah, uh, it was supposed to be a, we were supposed to get a three for Ibby in the corner, but Kansas came out small, so they switched everything. So the three wasn't open, and I remember I was standing on the wing, um, and then Jalen got the ball, and I was like, well, Jalen, you probably have a better shot throwing up a pair than I do, so I'm just going to run to the rim, hopefully get off the rebound if you miss it, and he happened to make it. Yeah. So that that's one shot I specifically remember him making. And then um, Obi hit a big one against Colorado to send it into overtime. Yep, yep. Um. But yeah, other than I mean that, there's no shot like the V Sanford shot over Aaron Kraft or anything. Yeah, and th- you know that's kind of the nature of March. Um, I feel thankful that I did get a chance to see you guys in Phoenix, and then you know I live here in Chicago, and then uh, I actually was like seven rows up mid court when you guys beat St. Louis. Shout out to one of our alumni for giving me those tickets for free. That was like incredible. Um, cause like in St. Louis, you just get to walk down on the court after the game was over. So I was like walking all over the court. I thought it was hilarious. Um, and of course, like I was like high on life cause you guys just won and like all these sad slew people are filing out. Um, cause for my money, like being a fan, that kind of felt like the turning point of the season when it was all like, Hey, you know, we can act, like the team can actually like totally you know run the table here. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's great to, to talk about some of the stuff that, that's gone down over the last few years and, um, certainly like appreciate the time and everything. So, uh, you know, the million dollar question always for our seniors is, uh, is what's next. I mean, do you, you plan on grabbing an agent trying to go overseas for a couple of years or are you going to hit the workforce like the rest of us schlubs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm going to try to hire, um, an agent sometime soon. Um, but with all this coronavirus and the travel bans and whatnot, it's, it's kind of a weird time for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, especially for obviously the NBA G league overseas. I mean, everything's suspended right now. So, yep. um, I'm just kind of talking to some agents, figuring out, um, which one will best represent me and then play, hopefully play some pro ball for a little bit, wherever that is. Um, until my body tells me 
to stop uh, and then I'll have to get a, a big boy job after that but <laughs> until then I'm, I'm hope to play basketball for a living that's the goal man that's always the goal like uh, I've had buddies that have played professional sports like in the, the um, semi-pros or whatever and they all say the same thing they're like well I'm just gonna play sports until I can't play anymore because then I'll have to like actually get a job and I'm like well I can't say I disagree with that. That's, that's, a, pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, way to look at it. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so exactly. We'll, we'll let you go on that, man. Is uh, I always give my guests to come on final thoughts about, you know, anything they want to impart on the Dayton fans. And um, certainly this is one of the first opportunities you've had since the season's been over to talk to the fan base and, um, and share your sentiment. And again, I'm appreciative that you were uh, willing to do that. You know, it's not where we want to be on the day when the tournament was supposed to start this year. But uh, it's where we find ourselves in unique scenarios or unique situation, rather. So it's um, I just I wanted to do something for the fans and uh, I'm glad you felt the same way. But, you know, any final thoughts you can impart on the fan base and the listeners as uh, you take maybe one more virtual bow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, all the fans out there listening, all the listeners, I, I appreciate every everything you guys done for me the past, you know, five years as a, as a Dayton basketball player. Um, you know, I came in my freshman year not really knowing anything, uh, what to expect as a, as a college basketball player. Uh, you know, I left the program um, this, you know, past year a champion. Um, we, we, won a, we won a lot of games during my time here. I had tons of, tons of fun, made tons of memories, developed some awesome relationships with players, uh, coaches, fans. Um, so I just want to thank, you know, all, the, all those who supported me. Um, I appreciate you uh, hitting me up on Twitter and asking me to do something like this. Um, you know, I like I like to interview. I love talking hoops. I love talking. Um, you know, you know, just X fun, X amazing, O's, yeah, 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 fun X's and O's, just yeah. story talking, stories talking, talking hoops, man. So um i appreciate like i said i appreciate you reaching out to me and we could uh, set something up yeah man that's kind of how it always goes i mean that's how i got scott van pelt on here was just like through twitter believe it or not you know it was just kind of like sent a tweet he responded to it next day we were talking i mean that's how it always goes on this kind of stuff um because that, that's at the end of the day that's that's really all it is is just kind of talking about the stories and what went down and luckily we have a fan base that uh that really cares so um mm -hmm. that's that's what makes it worth it for me and uh here's hoping you never have to pay for a beer in the gem city my friend it was great to have you on <laughs> I, I appreciate you thank you <laughs> all right man